Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. All right, welcome back to the Prospects Live MLB Draft Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Ponce. I am joined, as always, by my treacherous trio, Joe Doyle, Tyler Jennings, Ian Smith. Guys, another week in the books. We're getting a little bit closer to the draft. Feels like things are formulating a little bit more, but also getting more murkier, if that's a a word. (laughs) And... Beyond that, we've had more catastrophic injuries. I'm going to kick it over to Ian Smith first here. Ian, I'm going to I'm going to start this this podcast off on a somber note. Your man Ryan Webb goes oh. down for the season. Tommy John surgery. I assume that's obviously going to drop him in the draft. This was a guy that I think was day one. You know, I think at certain points during the season, we thought he was per- pushing into the first round. Now, you know, he's probably outside of the day one conversation. I don't know where he goes. Ian, the, the floor is yours. Oh, this is just a, a somber way to start this podcast, though, if ever going to start in any way. Like a Band-Aid. Let's just rip it right off. I know, man. <laughs> but lose, I feel tremendously bad for Warren Redford in this situation. Um he was a guy who was who had, <clears throat> was getting high numbers from guys last year in the draft. It was a shortened draft, so he came back to school to build his stock. He was doing that. We were in on him. We obviously, I was in on him. I wanted to see him as a first round guy. Uh, we all wanted to see him as a as a top fifty guy overall. But this injury came at the worst time possible and probably the the weakest draft class we've had in the last couple of years. So I still think Ryan Webb is a top five round guy but he's not really in that first round range that we wanted to see him anymore. He's going to be probably, I think, close to 22 years old, if not 22 years old at the draft Mm -hmm. senior. So he could be a guy who could sign for a little bit cheaper in the draft, could go in that third or fourth round range for maybe an underslot deal to to make something else happen. I think a team's going to get a really good bargain with Webb going down here, but it's still just really tough for the guy and and his, his draft stock. All right, I'll give it to uh, the rest of the group here as well. And, you know, Joe, anything you sort of want to add? I know that Ian is our resident 
Ryan Webb expert, having written a fantastic article about him. You guys can go back and read that. Uh, any thoughts here on, on Webb's draft stock, where you think he goes, or potentially maybe even teams that you think might be on in on him now that maybe previously might have not been? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speculate on who's in or who's out. I think Ryan Webb had a ton of traffic and still has a ton of traffic. I mean, he's one of the top three, you know, rewind two weeks ago. He's one of the top three lefties, I, I would say, in this class. I think most people would agree with that. Um, yeah, I think he's probably gone from a first or a second rounder now to more of a third or an early fourth rounder for me. I still think he's, you know, a top 100 or so talent. Um, he, you know, he, he's a burgeoning lefty. He showed velo, he showed command, he showed a great curveball and a changeup. Um, you know, I think he's, he's a starting, he's a starting, starting, a starter pitching profile, excuse me, at the, uh, at the next level. And I think, I think those types of arms will go go well. He's he's kind of in that Gunnar Hoagland mode where it's like, okay, he's shown us what he's need to show us. He looks like a starter. Yeah, we won't have him for a year, but he's still a good arm. Now, did we have officially the the Tommy John news on Gunnar last podcast that we hosted? Did that actually come out a day or two after Joe? It came out hours after we recorded. There we go. So why don't yeah. we sort of jump over to that? Tyler, you're next up in the rotation here, man. I'm trying to buy you some time. What are your thoughts on Gunnar Hoglund's injury, draft stock? Where does he go? He was a guy that was trending, I think, into the top 10 with some teams, maybe even higher. Um, and now a lot of that's been lost. I actually heard that one AL West team, in fact, had they weren't, they weren't in play for him, but they actually had him ranked above Kumar rocker prior to the injury. So Tyler, what are your thoughts? That's interesting. Um, no, you're right. I mean, a lot of teams viewed Hogman as a top 10 talent prior to the injury. You know, he was held out the one weekend, came back, shoved against South Carolina. And of course doesn't last an inning against, um, the LSU or no, I'm it's probably a Texas A&M, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting scenario. Um, Personally, I don't think Hogan's going to fall out of the first round. I feel like it's kind of like what Joe said. We've seen what he's shown us. It's and um, you know I mentioned it last podcast. You know Hogan's control arm. You know he can throw strikes. And of course, with all of the the stuff uptake this 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 year, um, yeah, I don't think he's going to fall that far. I think on our mock we had him the, the Brewers at fifteen, and I, me and Joe both like that fit. So. There's a chance there he might go probably later. There's a chance he probably could go later in first round too, but I don't know if he really falls out of the first round in my opinion. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think there's still a chance that he goes there. We've seen injured arms um, go in the first round before. So, you know, not a total shock. Um, Smitty, going back to you here on Gunner. Uh, any sort of closing thoughts, anything you wanted to add? Um, certainly, Joe, you can jump in too if you have something to say. Yeah, again, I, I kind of seconded on Tyler. I don't see him falling out of the first round. I still think he has the track record and what we saw out of him. Like I was saying last week on the podcast, worst case scenario that we were talking about this. I think that's what we brought up was worst case scenario before this news really came out. So 
I think he's still going to fall in that middle tier of the first round, that 15 to 25 range. I think somebody's going to bite on <clears throat> bite bite on that body on his on his stuff. He could be he could run up his velocity could be better after surgery. We still don't know about that, so I really don't want to speculate where he's going to fall to. But I still see him as a first round guy. Yeah, and just to sort of add here, uh, by the way, Tyler, it was Texas A&M um, where he only lasted two thirds of an inning. But uh, you know, final season stats here for for Hogland, whose velocity was up from you know previously what it had been early in 2020 and and then prior, uh, 62 uh, and two thirds innings, um, 96 strikeouts to 17 walks, and a 2.87 ERA, and you know that's. Uh, that's with one, two, three, four, five, six, pretty effectively seven, and then a, a two thirds of an inning uh, starts in the SEC. So you know he's facing really high level competition and putting up numbers like that. So the performance is there, the talent is there, and yeah, with the TJS stuff, it will happen. He'll come back. There's a team that's going to invest in him, and ultimately, silver lining here, Hogman may end up at a better development place than he would have prior because he could fall to a better team later in the drafts. Um, so that's uh, kind of an interesting angle. So I think we've gone through all of our, were there any other injuries that I missed? Anybody else that got shut down? I thought there was one more that I'm not remembering. Um, oh, Matt McLean. I don't think we had Matt McLean the last time uh, that we were on the show. So I want to go here. going to go back to Joe, the West Coast guy. What are your thoughts on um, <clears throat> Matt McLean and obviously getting shut down? Does that hurt his, his draft stock at all? Or do you think, once again, this draft is so bad, we've seen what he can do, <laughs> trending upward. Maybe some teams are yeah. willing to sort of make that investment in the top 15, like many thought. Yeah, I think it's it's really important for Matt McClain that he got those last three or four weeks in when he hit, you know, nine home runs. Because yeah. uh, I think that power surge, yeah, that power surge did, did wonders for his draft stock, considering the broken thumb. Um, I know in speaking to some teams that they wanted to see him continue to hit and hit for power and slug uh, throughout the rest of the year. But um, he, for a guy like Matt, I think he broke his thumb at the best time he could have uh, all things considered. He, he was on a, he was on a hot streak. So um, I, like you said, I think this class is, is so poor on the college hitter side uh, and specifically so poor at the college shortstop side and infield for that matter that um, you can, probably pencil Matt McLean's name in to the first round. I don't know if that's, you know, at eight, I don't know if that's at 28 or anywhere in between, but um, I don't think the broken thumb impacts him too much. All right, Tyler, I'm going to go back to you. Any sort of additional thoughts that you want to add here um, on McLean? No, not really. I'm in agreement with Joe. I feel like it's not going to hurt his draft thought too much because of the fact that he had that power surge just before he broke his thumb. So, yeah, you know, I don't really have much much else to add really to that. Yeah, and I think just to sort of put it into perspective, um, nine home runs this season in his UCLA career. Prior to that, only had seven. Even if you add in his his Cape League numbers, he only uh, equaled that number at a, a total of nine. Slash 325, 432, 578 this season. Um, and over the course of uh, his career um, uh, at uh, UCLA, he had a really rough freshman year. So uh, slash lines 273, 354, 471 uh, with a total of 16 stolen bases and 16 home runs. And that was, of course, uh, across 114 games. So 
Uh, at least things were trending in the right direction there. Uh, was a former first-round pick. It looks like he'll stay as a first-round pick. All right, now that we've gotten through some of those news and notes and early stuff, things that have happened throughout the week that we wanted to address and touch on, we asked the listeners, you folks out there, for some questions on Twitter uh, earlier this weekend. And we have a whole mailbag here to go through. So we're going to go around the room now, answer some of these questions. Um, I'm going to start again at uh, at Joe. So first question that we have here, don't actually have a listener uh, that put this out to us. Uh, uh, apologies for that. But the question is, why is the consensus Lawler over Marcelo Mayer? What separates the two in your mind? That's a good question. There, there are definitely teams that have Meyer over Lawler. Um, it's not necessarily consensus um, in the industry, but I know like for public boards, uh, it's, it's Lawler over Meyer. I've gone back and forth. I think the team here can attest to that. I am one of the biggest Meyer stands out there, but with, with what you get with Lawler, it's just, you, there's more explosiveness. There's more Twitch. Um, there's projectability uh, in a frame that already has, um, you know, strength to it. Um, he hits to all fields. He hits for power. He's got a great arm. Uh, he's rangy. Um, and you can't say the same for Meyer, but with Meyer, what you're kind of betting on is, uh, okay, you get this guy in a player development system and you put 10, 15 pounds of, of muscle on him and you get him working on explosiveness and drills. And, you know, you kind of see what, what's to come of that, of that body and what's to come of that profile with professional development. So I think to answer the question, Lawler already has it all. And the only wart on Jordan Lawler, it seemed like all spring was, you know, these strikeouts that were mysteriously coming up early on in the year. And, you know, I, I tweeted earlier this week, he had one strikeout in his final 55 at bats. So with that gone, I, I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion. And he was like, he was like 28 for 28 in stolen bases too. And that's not a, that's not an aspect yeah. Marcelo Meyer brings to the field. So 32 um, for 32 actually. Yeah. Okay. 32. So yeah, Lawler yeah. just does it all. If you're betting on a five tool guy, it's Lawler. All right. So we'll uh, continue here. Same question. I'm going to kick it over to Tyler. Tyler. What are your thoughts on that? Anything you want to uh, sort of add on to what Joe has said? Yeah, I mean, Joe pretty much nailed it. Um, I'm in agreement with him. My thing with Meyer is, you know, you're going to add more projection to the body, obviously. But he doesn't quite have the bat speed, doesn't quite have the explosiveness at the plate as Lawler does, personally. Um, he's ob- I think he's a safer bet to hit. Um and he's obviously really good in the field. I, th- I still think Lars, your better bet to tap into more of a five tool potential, if anything else. All right, uh, good answer. And I, I think I, you know, agree with you on that. Um, you know, the, if you think that Mayer can stay at shortstop long term and maybe even be above average there, <laughs> then I think he's probably the easy answer still, um, even with the explosiveness, because I think the hit tool. And the power projection uh, just within Mayor's swing. Uh, it's really a, a, a beautiful swing. All right. Uh, I'm not going to beat a, a, a dead horse here. Let's keep on moving. Ian, you're next in the hot seat. You get the next question. This one comes from another listener, unnamed listener. Thank you, unnamed listener. Uh, it seemed that picks one through four were set, but lately, catcher Henry Davis, Joe Doyle, your boy, your boy, 
is getting a lot of attention. Could Davis work his way into the top four picks? I think this is probably a pretty easy question, but Smitty, what are you thinking, man? Oh, absolutely not. But no, 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 just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but no. no. A chance we, think, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I think we've had Henry in the top four or close to it for, I mean, as long as we, I mean, almost four months now, since the, since the college baseball season started, Henry's really pushed himself into that top four talk for as long as we've, we've talked about this. Um, I think we've heard this week that about some one, one talk from team from maybe not from teams, but from people in the industry and his name's out there. Uh, he keeps producing. He's a, he's a, he's going to stick behind the plate long-term. He's probably the best catching prospect we've had this year or last year. Um, he just brings it all to the plate. Massive exit velocities. Like I've mentioned every week when I had that horrible mess up a couple weeks ago, we were talking about best power in the class, but that's what Henry <laughs> brings to the table every week. Um, Every time he steps in the box, you know something's about to happen. He's going to impact the baseball every time he makes contacts. Um, it's just a really it's a frame and a and a and a body and a profile that you can just project to the pro game. And I think it's a really easy conversation about him in the top four picks right now. Do you think it's yeah, the absolutely. best floor in the class? Jeff, I'll throw it to you. Do you think it's the best floor in the class? Just like the easiest, like money in the bank? Yeah, I do, because I think that um Though Sal Frelick is a, a, a pretty high floor, you know, another guy that's that's a center fielder. Um, I think that Henry's defensive, uh, or D- Henry Davis's defensive prowess. Call him like I know him first. Uh, first, name, <laughs> you hey, Hank. hey Hank. Um, <laughs> I think it's the defensive prowess know. back there. You know, we <laughs> saw it on display this week. Um, I know Tyler obviously got a got a, a really high pop time on time on him, or excuse me, really low pop time on him, and. Armstrong, um, he's just a, a really consistent performer across the board. And I think I even said it early that, you know, I would be perfectly fine um, with the Red Sox popping it for even be there uh, when the Red Sox pick. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that he's probably the highest floor. Um, and the other part of it is he's the only standout position player, it seems, in a draft sort of devoid of standout position players from the college ranks. So, Tyler, you saw Henry Davis. Do you agree with all the things that we've said? Yes, 100%. You have my approval. <laughs> hey, Tyler, I've got a question for you. Another question. Here we go on Henry Davis. Um, is he the Golden Spikes front runner? It's in, I think in terms of position players, yes. I don't know if he'll top lighter maybe for that, but... I don't have a Golden Spice Award vote, so my point, my opinion is probably invalid here. Um, <laughs> uh, he's got a good chance. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if he's front runner over maybe like Lighter, um, but that's really the only guy I could probably name in front of him personally. I feel like he's going to be a finalist and has a very good chance to win it. I'm I'm looking back now. I think Henry was my Golden Spikes prediction on on February 19th. So he was, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Smitty, Smitty had it before the season. There you go. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. I think we uh, we've covered enough Henry Davis. That's the Henry Davis section of the podcast. Excellent question. Thanks for adding that one in. On to our next question. I'm going to start this one off uh, with Joe. Um, actually, no, I'm going to start this one off with Tyler because I think I've started uh, questions off with the two of you already. Um, next question is curious. Is there a consensus on the strength of the 2021 draft class? 
any general thoughts, top heavy, deep, et cetera, general or fantasy ones? Well, I will say for starters, the college hitting class is not the top of this, uh, the top strength of this class for sure, especially over the past couple of weeks. Um, you know, we discussed it last week, probably looking at maybe even four, five get college bats that go in the first round. Um, that's just an educated guess at this point, but it feels like it, we're pretty confident on that one. Um, the prep side is pretty heavy. College arms is not as good as 2020 was, especially now since, uh, you know, Hoglund's out, Ryan Webb's out. So really the prep side outweighs the college side here. Um, I mean, that's really all I got on that one. So I'll, I'll throw it over to the other guys here. Yeah, and I'll jump in here just to to throw, um, I guess, fantasy perspective onto it. Um, it, it. I'll say that this is going to be a year where you probably don't want to have one of the top couple of picks, frankly, um, unless you're you're all in on Lawler or whoever goes early. Um, we have a, a catcher here, even if offensively he's strong, still a position you tend to stay away from a little bit because it's going to hurt your game started. And, you know, catchers in general can take a little bit longer in the minors to develop everything across the board, though. I do think Davis would be a relatively fast mover on top of it. Just you get beat up a little bit, right? Just physically, it takes a toll on you, um, which can impact performance at the plate a little bit. So I think it's going to be a draft where people are just gambling on a lot of these talented prep hitters. Um, there's a, you know, a handful of them that are sort of clustered now within, you know, the top 40 to 50 picks, I think. Um, you get some of those outfielders after you get kind of after 20 and then you got all those uh, prep shortstops that are clustered at the top. And those are really the jewels of uh, this draft from a fantasy standpoint. Um, Joe, anything that you want to sort of add on general thoughts? I'm going to go around the room to everybody on this question because I think we probably have something different to contribute each. So Joe, you're next in the hot seat. <laughs> I just noticed that you were closing your eyes during that entire thing. It, had, it was very strange. Try not to pass out there for a second. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Jeff doesn't know how to breathe in between sentences. Um, I uh, I don't have much to add. I think you hit it on the nail on the head with with you know if you're going to be waiting a while for these guys. I will say if there's one guy that you want to target that's near the top from a fantasy perspective, I'm not a fantasy guru. I'm not the type of guy that has these sort of answers. But I do think Sam Bachman is an arm that you could take near the top of this draft class for a fantasy perspective. I think it's going to move quick. I think at worst, it's a high leverage reliever that is going to be in the pros, you know, if that's the route by the end of 2022. And if it's a starting pitcher, then, you know, I don't really know what the ceiling is there, but he would be my fantasy standout if you're targeting one guy. Yeah. Tough profile though, just because there's obviously the relief risk there. It's kind of a, yeah, I'll be like a Garrett crochet sort of a. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a crochet ceiling. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Relief wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Depends on your league, I guess. Depends on strikeouts and yeah, how you're. Yeah, exactly. Might depend on some of that stuff. Um, anything else you want to add in terms of general strengths or weaknesses uh, within the class, Joe? Uh, not really. I think. Uh, there's, there's college pitching depth in the second, third, fourth, fifth round. You're going to be able to get some decent arms, uh, some starter profiles in in those later rounds. And I think, uh, this is going to be a year where you're going to see a lot more high school players taken than usual. That's just, it's where the strength is. Uh, I don't know how it's going to work out with, with bonus pools, because I do feel like there's going to be an inordinate amount of, uh, high schoolers taken this year than in past years, which is kind of strange because we had 
a shortened draft last year, but still, um, I think 2022 and 2023 are shaping up to be much stronger. Hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, do you think that's a combination of, you know, the last year potentially of this system being in play um, plus maybe some of these prep talents, talents with the crunch on college rosters, um, considering maybe lower dollar numbers than they might've previously to get into the program. Yeah. I, I think there's, I think there's a lot of that. I mean, we had a lot of talented kids go to Juco last year. We had a lot of talented four-year kids go to Juco from a four-year college after their freshman year. Um, and we're hearing about a bunch and we're, we're hearing about a bunch of guys that ended up uh, at a four-year this year in the SEC transferring out to Juco this year. So um, yeah, there's a giant crunch going on right now in amateur baseball. And I don't, I don't think anybody really knows what the trickle down is going to look like uh, in terms of high school draft eligibility and whether or not it's going to push more players to the pros rather than betting on themselves in college. But that's something that we're certainly going to find out. But I tell you, one thing that we can almost write down in blood is 2022 and beyond is going to be stronger. Yeah, it just, you know, there's too much talent crunch. And I'll go over to uh, to Ian here for sort of closing thoughts on the class. Anything you want to add on to it? Do you feel this is the weakest draft class we've had in maybe half a decade? Maybe some yeah, Mickey Moniac draft. It kind of feels like the Mickey Moniac draft. It yeah, seems like it's getting weaker by the week, which is usually the opposite at this time of the year. And it's it's scary at this point. I mean, not not for the overall sense of there's not going to be any talent in this draft, but there's clearly going to be talent. And teams are clearly going to win this draft. And when it's all said and done, but right now it's tough to really look at this draft and get excited about it when you look at the last five years in drafts. So, no, I, I think it might be the weakest draft in the last half a decade. But from one fantasy aspect of it, I think I think dynasty players in fantasy will enjoy this draft. The, sh- the prep shortstop side of things is extremely deep. There's a lot of tools there you can really dream on when you're looking at guys like Brady House and Lawler and Mayer and, and even Mooney and things like that. And Khalil Watson even. So when you got guys like that in this draft, you can look at them in, in, in FIPD drafts and, and maybe dream on them. you got a few first round guys that you can really be excited about taking, but overall it's really draft class. So you don't want to just put your hat on. Yeah. I actually think after like the top five to 10 picks um, from like a fantasy perspective, it might be more fun because you can go yeah. after Josh Baez and exactly. White and you know Will Taylor and and you know um, I think it's a fun aspect for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of fun sort of uh, upside hitters that guys that you you know if you want to hold on to them you could probably get after pick 15 that end up popping. Where last year's draft though, from a real life perspective, was great. From fantasy, it was like, what do I do with all these high level pictures? Like. Pitchers typically, you know, pitching prospects. Take three, you were already struggling. You're like, oh, man. (laughs) It's tough tough to invest. And I think there was a big question even at the top after you took some of those top hitters like Torque and Martin, some of those guys. Which one is the best? Is it Lacey? You know, is it Mayer? Uh, Or do you even prefer like Emerson Hancock? You know, so I think there was obviously some debate there as well. I hope that we answered your question. I tried to give myself a nice little segue here by mentioning some of those pitching prospects. How would you rank, Smitty, I'm going to go back to you on this one. How would you rank Mayer, Lacey, Hancock, Leiter, and Rocker? Right now, I think I'd have to go Max Meyer, Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter, Lacey, and Hancock. I think 
Meyer is the best out of the five by Meyer for what he brings to the table. I think it's a a plus fastball slider mix with a, a with a budding changeup, and I don't think you're really going to see that. We thought we had that with Kumar this year, and we really haven't seen that total package. But I think Max Meyer brings that to the table, so he's clearly my my top out of those five guys, and that's really how I think I I rank those through going forward. Yeah, Tyler, I'm going to go over to you now. Um, give me your ranking of those guys. Does it differ from Smitty's, and why? The only difference I have is swapping out lighter and rocker. Um, you know, Meyer's still number one for me personally because Ian nailed it. You know, you're looking at a potentially double plus fastball and slider combo, and he's in an organization with the Marlins who are really good at developing changeups. So he's got pretty damn good ace uh, potential here. Um, I only have lighter ahead of rocker at this moment, mainly because. You know, like, like we've mentioned it before, Lighter the past three starts before yesterday was really, really rough. But yesterday he came out, he was pumping mid-90s. He looked better than what he had been for the past few weeks. And Rocker's still kind of struggling with command a little bit. Um, so that's really what, that's really the only issue I have. Uh, or not really issue, it's just the only change I have from Ian's list. Uh, I have Lacey 4 and then Hancock 5 there. All right, good answers. Joe, your turn on the same question. How do you rank out these five pitching prospects? So I think Myers won. I think that's a good call and really good call by Ian on the changeup uh, development. I think that's a that's an important piece of it and a piece of my rationale moving forward. But I got Meyer one. I have Lighter two. I have Lacey three. I actually have Hancock four, uh, partly because he's in Seattle and they have one of the better pitching development programs out here. Plus, I'm kind of a sucker for the prototypical size. Um, and then I have Rocker 5, and these guys hit the nail on the head. I'm a little concerned with the changeup development. We don't know where he's going to end up. Um, I'm a little concerned about the fastball command. So I, I think my list and all these guys' lists can change depending on where these guys eventually end up getting drafted. But, yeah, I think that the health of last season's uh, college pitching class even was stronger than what we're looking at right now. Yeah, and uh, I'll just sort of piggyback in here and, and answer the question as well. I think Mayor, you know, is in a, uh, excuse me, Max Meyer <laughs> is in a tier by himself. Um, he's gone to double A, obviously pitched well. Um, and I think that speaks volumes about how advanced he is um, and, you know, the confidence that the organization and team obviously have in his ability to get outs. Um I would have lighter two there. I think lighter is the most likely to be able to make that transition to a higher level relatively quickly. Um, if anybody in this mix could skip a ball, it's lighter. It's obviously kind of unfair because Lacey and Hancock have not skipped a ball. I'm actually going to flip it on its head a little bit and I'm going to put Hancock three and I'm going to put Lacey a very close four. Um, I think some of the same concerns that I have with rocker um, I have with Lacey a little bit. I think the command stuff isn't as much of an issue um, I know the third pitch, you know, eight in college. Um, let's see how it plays continuously in the pros, especially once he gets up to double A. I think that's really where, you know, the rubber meets the road uh, with a guy like him. And the other part of it is I really do, Kansas City's done a tremendous job with a lot of the, the talent that's coming to their organization recently, so I don't want to knock them here. But I really do believe in sort of the development process that's going on in Seattle right now, what they're able to do with a lot of these arms. And Hancock is great stuff. Um, he's got great stuff. He's got good pitch ability. Um, and I think we'll continue to see him um, grow and develop. And, and, you know, I think he has the best starter profile of the three 
when we're weighing out him, Lacey, or Rocker. And that's not, you know, there might be a little bit more stuff with the other two at times, um, but I think there's also a little bit more relief risk. So I'll flip it on its head a little bit there and, uh, you know, put Rocker five, just like Joe, and then flip Lacey and Hancock. All right. I think we dug in pretty deep on that question. Let's get to the next one so we don't run too long here. The question, I'm going to give it over to Joe. Um, I hear a lot about pitch shaping. Can you explain a bit what that means and who are some of the best pitch shapers in the draft? Oh, man. Okay. That's a, okay. So pitch shaping, that's a bit of a loaded question. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces to it. There's, I mean, in layman's terms, it's the way that the ball is coming out of the hand and how it is looking like other pitches tunneling. You'll hear tunneling a lot. Does the fastball look like the curveball or vice versa coming out of the hand? Does the slider look like the sinker coming out of the hand? Um, I think that's in layman's terms, what we're talking about here. So what you want to do is you want to find pitchers. I, you don't, this isn't even critical, but it does add a tick to, you know, your arsenal, but players that are developing pitch shaping and developing tunneling attributes, it just, it lends well to the modern game, working vertically, working horizontally. Um, Jack Leiter is a, is a, is a good example. Uh, if he, if he can get to a point where the curveball, the 12, six curveball is a above average pitch or even a plus pitch, it's going to play really, really well off of his fastball because the fastball that he releases the four seam it's it seams are spinning perfectly backwards in theory. That's what you want. And the 12, six, they are doing the exact same pattern. They're just tumbling forwards. Um, another guy that does that really well is Ryan Cusick. Um, he fails to execute sometimes, but the thought process behind his fastball and his curveball are to mirror seam orientation. So those two immediately stick out for me in terms of, tunneling attributes um i think sam bachman is another decent profile because he's got such a severe hard sinker uh slider combo um he doesn't have the command to really uh harness in what he's capable of yet but he's trying to do those sorts of things um so i think that would be kind of the really nuts and bolts version of it is do you have a four seam and a 12 six that mirror each other do you have a two seam and a slider that mirror each other? Do they look the same coming out of the hand? And um, yeah, those would be my examples. What do you guys got? Yeah, I was going to say the the name that I throw out there is actually on the prep side. And one of the, one of the, the, the I think most frequently in terms of, I'm going to take a little variation on this a little bit too. Somebody that has the ability to manipulate shape on their pitches, and typically it's it's sliders, right? There's fast fast guys that can do this with their fastball a little bit too. I think Leiter's probably a good example, um, but a guy like Jackson Job has the ability to really you know bury that thing when he wants to, and sort of land it and manipulate it to get more horizontal or vertical movement depending upon you know what the situation is. Um, and I think Max Meyer who we just talked about a minute ago is another really good example of that. If you go and watch some of Meyer sliders, he's able to sort of manipulate break and shape on that and sort of hit some spots. I always feel like sliders in particular, when we're talking about the ability to manipulate it and change shape and, and sort of, um, you know, have different variations, almost the same pitch. That's uh, one pitch in particular that I think you see it most frequently, at least, especially on the amateur side. Um, Tyler, is there anything that you wanted to add in here on this question? We want me to move on to another one. 
Yeah, no, I don't have anything else to add to this. I, I feel like I'm going to sound stupid if I even add to it. So you Joe, guys nailed it on the head. <laughs> Joe gave a very thorough answer. And uh, yeah, so there's no need to move on. Joe, you get five points on the Around the Horn board. All right, all right. All right. Keep on talking. Sure keep points points away. Um, how high does Christian Franklin go, Tyler? He's a five-tool player. I can't imagine him falling further than the second round. I know exactly who this is too to put it out. So Callie, if you listen to this, thank you for the question. Um, this is someone that me and Joe discussed about even maybe even back end of the first round or even competitive balance. Um, that's where I personally have him. Um, I mean, I, we talked about this the other day in chat. It's kind of like, it's really confusing as to how some of these larger outlets are pretty low on him. Um, cause just looking at the, you know, the slash line, you're looking at 303, 435, 84, um, 30 walks, 56 strikeouts, you know, the K rate's been up there. Um, I think someone, I think it was like 25 and a half percent or something like that. Um, correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, but he's still a, a very entertaining, he's an entertaining player in my opinion, you know, um, you know, just watching his Superman grab against Tennessee this past weekend. And of course, um, you see the power potential that he had as well in that game. He's someone that I think, especially with how the college bat class has been, you could see him sneaking into the first round. Um, but like I said, I have a more competitive balance at the moment. But of course, we still got a couple more weeks left in the season. This bound to change at this point. Good answer. Good answer. Smitty. Same question, but I'm going to give you a variation. Are you taking Christian Franklin or Judd Fabian right now? Oh, my God. Judd Fabian. Um, I think they're very similar in profile, but I think what Judd Fabian's and the transition he's made in his game over the last month has really put him ahead. Um, I think Franklin might be a top five defender in center field right now in college baseball, but he strikes out entirely too much. Um the powers there clearly he's got the tools to be a first round talent, but even in this draft class, you just don't see the guys striking out that much going as high as you'd like to see him. I think Judd is pushing himself into that top 20 range at this point, which is crazy because we've had him so all over the place over the last two months, but he's trending up right now. He's pounding the ball. He's got a new approach. So right now I would take Judd Fabian over Franklin, but the profiles are very similar. Joe. Anything you want to add on that? Because the next question is definitely yours. <laughs> What's the next question? It's on uh, the map. Yeah. Anything you want to add on? I had someone come into my DMs uh, earlier this week and dropped an Ooh. interesting nugget. He said that apparently there's never been a full-time regular at the big league level that has, a sus- that has had a sustained career as a full-time regular with a college strikeout rate over 24 percent so you know does that limit christian franklin to being a potential fourth outfielder i don't know that's not for me to decide i really like the profile i think especially if you're detroit or miami or milwaukee and your third pick is in that um you know 35 to 50 range he's a really good value because there's 55 tools across the board as long as he has an approach I love, I love the player. I think he's a good player. Absolutely. I agree. All right, Joe. So the next question is any infielders infielders, the Mariners could target in this year's draft at pick 12. 
Well, I mean, you go, you, you immediately go to Matt McClain. Um, I think Matt McClain is a real possibility. He's a shortstop second baseman. Um, we've talked about him enough on this show. He's, uh, he's got a good approach. He's a good hitter. There's concerns about the power, but um, he's certainly a guy that's, that's on their radar. Um, I think I don't necessarily think Seattle is targeting infielders. I think they're targeting bats. I think guys that you want to look out for are guys like Harry Ford. Uh, I think, I think Colton Kowser makes some sense, but I'm not in love with the idea, but I think we're going to have a much better idea of, of who makes sense and where in the middle of June after the combines and after the PDPs and after the showcases and kind of the cream raises, uh, rises to the top. You know, Benny Montgomery is another one. Uh, Colson Montgomery is another one. I think both of those guys make a lot of sense if they continue to rise. So, um, I guess some names to watch out for, but we're, we're still, believe it or not, I know we're only two months away, but we're still kind of uh, in wait and see mode. Yeah, I think so. There's a lot more that's going to drop, um, but excellent job. Got your Mariners question answered. Ian, this question is for you. Any insight on the Marlins direction or what you'd like to see the Marlins do um, for pick 16 and 31? I think they've went into the last few drafts as with a best player available mentality with their picks. And I think that's going to be the same mentality they take into the first round of this year. Uh, I think Matt McLean is a name that Joe just mentioned at 12 who could potentially fall into their laps now with the injury at 16. That could be a really good win for Miami. That's a guy who could project in, at second base or in center field long-term. So I think that's a guy Miami would really target in that scenario right there as a player that could be on the board not expect him to be there. It could be higher on their board than they think. And uh, he's a guy I really like there. A couple of other names that are completely on the other side of things are prep arms. You've seen uh, Andrew Painter mock there quite often recently. He's a, he's a Miami kid. He's a big, he's a big arm, six foot eight, four pitches up to 99 this spring. So that's a guy they can target. And another guy they've really targeted the last few drafts is a plus fastball slider combo. And you're really not going to find a better one on the prep side than Chase Petty. And I think he's a guy who could be sitting in their laps at 16 as well, who that could be a name that that Miami could look at. So Petty, Painter, and McLean are three guys that are really could be high on their board. And 31, I thought Matt Nelson was a guy who is potentially going to be there. I think they are going to be looking BPA again at that position where they could go another pitcher, which sounds crazy after they went six pitchers in last year's draft. But I think this team has needs at the lower levels to draft pitching. So I could see two pitchers in the, in the first round at, thir- at 16 and 31. All right, there you go. We got our Marlins question answered. So, hey. Tyler, that means that we have a question about the Carolina Hurricanes. No, we don't. I, I knew you were going to say that, too, because I was about You're to chime in with my joke. Too. Yeah, I know. I, I was, I was going to chime in with a joke. It's like, well, I'm a Carolina Hurricanes scout, so I'm bound to get that question here in a little bit. Um, exactly. Who's the best goalie going forward? Um, what's the chance? I'll answer that for you. <laughs> what's the chance of Benny Montgomery going in the top 10? Everyone agrees he may have the highest ceiling in the draft, or is the swing too much of a problem? That's that's a good question, personally. I know uh, Joe just brought him up as being a potential, uh, like a name for the Mariners to look at. Top 10 in my opinion at this point might be a little bit too rich um just for my liking i don't know you guys might disagree oh, that's fine with me you can chime in if you want to on this um you know he brings up the swing being too much of a problem it last summer there was that hitch 
that um, we've all previously talked about. And it, he cleaned it up at some point during the fall, too. Uh, it looked a lot smoother. But we've touched on this a little bit in the past, too. Once the spring season started for Pennsylvania, the hitch kind of came back. Um, and that's always going to draw a little bit of concern with scouts because you're just not sure how he's going to handle advanced pitching, especially with that hitch. So, um, you know, he, the ceiling's definitely there. He could, you know, in the next couple months, push his way into the top 10. We're not going to take that out of the question. Just right now, I don't know if that's going to be a possibility. All right. Absolutely. Joe, anything you wanted to add there on Benny Montgomery? You're a big Benny fan, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, I like Benny. I think um, one thing to consider is the Mets and the Angels are at 9 and 10. And I think they specifically want pitching. I think those are two organizations that need pitching. They want to draft a pitcher so long as there's a pitcher there that makes sense for them. So at that point, you're going down to eight and the Rockies. And I mean, never say never with the Rockies, but Benny Montgomery and Zach Veen in the same organization would be, that would be some galactic brain fun shit. <laughs> oh, dude, that, that sounds fun, actually. <laughs> but I, I don't know. So we're running a little long on time. This is the last question that we have. I'll throw it out there to the group. Uh, I haven't studied the the rosters extensively myself. I did see some of the stuff that was posted. Um, But interested in hearing news about the new draft league. Any news on rosters or high school prospects that may be on teams? Who wants to jump in here and answer this one? I mean, I got one guy that... Yeah, go go ahead, ahead, Joe. Whatever. Go ahead, brother. All right, man. I, I got I, I got one guy that I'm going to point out that's going to be in the league. I I will be honest. the The rosters have been a little underwhelming, but there's definitely some MLB draft talent. There's definitely some big league talent to acquaint yourself with. Um, a guy that I really like is from the College of Southern Nevada. It's Damiano Palmegiani. He's a third baseman, JUCO guy, really good athlete. Um, our I'm not even going to say his name, but we've got some some contacts and friends in the industry that really love this kid. Uh, they think he's an above-average plus runner with a potentially above-average plus arm and an above-average uh, bat speed. Like, they think maybe he could even play center field, and he's a third baseman now, six foot one, two hundred pounds. He's committed to Arizona, but I do I do think he's going to end up getting picked. And in a in a college class that's kind of lacking in college infielders, I know he's a JUCO. He's one guy that I'm certainly watching. So, uh, Ian, I'll throw it over to you. Who do you got, man? Yeah, that's a great call on that one, Joe. I believe he's leading all of Juco with 24 Yabos, too. So, he's really pounding the ball. He's got double-digit steals. So, that's a guy I think that should be a really fun watch this this summer in the league. Um, there's a ton of fun names on my side just looking at it. I don't know about top-tier draft talent, but in those middle 7 to 10 <clears throat> round range, just a bunch of guys. On the prep side, there's guys like Grant Hussey, and Carlos Pena, who have massive, massive power from mm-hmm. from the left side as as prep infielders. Um, but one, both one's a first baseman, one's an outfielder. So you're not going to see a bunch of athleticism out of either guy, but massive juice. Uh, there's a really good catcher in Jalen Melendez, who's got big league bloodlines, who's going to be down there as well. He's down here as a South Florida kid who can who can play really good defense behind the plate and shown shown power this spring that really was unexpected. And on the JUCO side, a couple more names. Highland Hall, Washington State commit, plays center field for Wabash, who's going to be down there. 
can really put it together. He's had a, has had a uh, kind of a rough spring, so he needs a really strong summer to build a stock. That's a guy who has a lot of tools that can really run. So those are just a few guys that I really saw on the list that really just jumped out at me as Mason Erla, another guy, Michigan State right righty, had a rough year, really needs to rebuild his stock so he could come down there and really had a strong summer and find his name, make himself a little bit more money going into the July draft. Hey, lest, lest we forget Vitus. Oh, my goodness. Vitus, man. You, you I can't think he's going to play third. He's going to play third, too, which is a big development. <laughs> that's going to be awesome, man. Two hundred. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.